Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. And this week, we're sharing a conversation with Mary Hunter. Dominique and I recently spent a delightful afternoon reconnecting with Mary. We talked for a couple of hours, so I'm breaking that long conversation up into several smaller units. Many of you will already know Mary through her blog, stalecheerios.com, and she's also the organizer for the Art and Science of Animal Training Conference that's held every year down in North Texas. She was also our guide through our Listen and Learn audio course on applied behavioral analysis. Mary is so very skilled at finding connections between the science and real-world examples, so she was the perfect choice for our audio course. We're celebrating the holidays by offering a 25% discount off the Listen and Learn course, so this is a good time to check it out. Last week we began not with horses, but with gardening. That's a subject I always enjoy. I love gardens. But Mary is a new gardener, and several early failures trying to grow cilantro put her into an extinction process. The important connection to training came through her discovery of a very user-friendly hydroponic garden. Within three weeks of setting it up, she was picking salad greens, so now she is enthusiastically looking for more gardening adventures. Finding the right approximations early on so she could experience success was what she needed. That's a great reminder for training, and it's at this point in the conversation that we'll pick up and we'll be looking for more connections between gardening and horse training. I think you're going to find that we find some really fun ones. I bought and set up a small little indoor hydroponic garden unit. And you, you literally, I'm going to describe to you literally what I did. I took it out of the box. I plugged it into the wall. There's these little pod things with seeds in them. I popped those into the holes. I poured water into it. And then there's a little bottle of plant food. I poured two capfuls of plant food into it. And three weeks later, we had, we had salad greens. (laughs) And, And that was, and that was it. And they were good. And because of that, you know, that was a good, that, that, especially given my history with the cilantro, that was the 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 very beginner easy approximation that i needed and the plants are growing and they're doing well and i'm reading and learning but but what i needed was i needed an approximation that i could be successful with and so this this little hydroponic unit gave me something that even with the like what we were talking about earlier the the hard thing with gardening is there's a delay to the reinforcement you have to keep working at it for at least a few weeks until until you see if you're successful or not. But this little unit gave me the approximation I needed to be successful. Before we jump into talking about how that re- relates to training and all the rest of it, though it's fairly obvious, 
I'm sure there are people who are going. So what was the name of the unit? Um, there, there are several different ones on the on the market. Um, the one I have is called an Aero Garden. It's spelled A E R O Garden. They have a website, and then you can find them at Amazon and other places as well. the The one thing I yeah. would say is they're maybe a little pricey for some people, but they're the type of thing that people buy them and try them, and then either like them or don't like them. So I actually have several of them now. And I've found some really good deals on local uh, buy and sell groups and even on Amazon for, for used, for gently used hydroponic gardens. So um, that, I, I just wanted <laughs> yes. to say that because if people are inspired, but then look at the price, they may not <laughs> be as inspired. I want to talk about the language that you've used. You're, you're saying to give a big... To, I was given the right approximation. I find it's an interesting way of saying it. Yeah, so I, I think sometimes we get too boxed in. You know, we're working with a horse or a dog or a human learner. One thing that I think happens is we often use someone else's shaping plan. Um, so, you know, we find a shaping plan in a book or in a YouTube video, and the plan says, this is the first step. And so, so then we go out there and we try the behavior, we try to, to teach the behavior and, you know, everything falls apart or doesn't work out or, and then we're getting frustrated and the animal's getting frustrated. And often what the case is, is that that approximation that you read in the book or that you watched in the YouTube video might be one that works for 80% of horses, but your horse needed a very different approximation or a very different starting point. Yep. Targeting would be a great example because it's it's a great way to start for most horses. But if you hold a target up and the horse looks at it with this sort of, you know, out of the corner of his eye and goes, ooh, you know, I, that's a novel object and I don't know what that is and I'm not going anywhere near it, then, you know, what you want, which is his curiosity, brings him forward to touch the target. Instead, you have, ooh, how can I get as far away from that thing as I possibly can? Your shaping plan needs to immediately shift. Or even if, if you have a horse who, who has an issue with like biting and nipping, if you start with targeting, you may get the behavior. Mm, you may, yes. the horse may be successful, maybe touching the target, but in between repetitions, he's nipping at your clothes or biting at your hands. And, and so you feel like he's learning the behavior, yep. but you both are still really frustrated. Right. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to find how to get a behavior started even with certain learners. You know, you've, you've taught it a certain way with this horse, and then you're trying to teach it with this other horse and it's not happening. That's because the level is, you know, the approximation is not right for this one. Right. It's, you know, especially if the, if the horse has poison cues or previous bad experiences. Um, so like the, the gelding I have, Apollo, who I adopted um, at the end of last year, he had a bunch of poison cues and I don't want to go anywhere near the mounting block type behaviors and 
my friend Jessica helped me and we tried several different approaches and what we ended up eventually doing um, that ended up being a good starting point was we retaught the behavior on the on the right side and so now that he's comfortable with me riding him uh, now I can get on him from either side but for a long time I just got on him and off of him on the right side and and that was okay yeah you wouldn't find that as a starting point usually if you you know if you would look in in um if you would look at other people's shaping plans so sometimes i think it, mm. it's diff like you said though dominique it's difficult you have to try several different things which is why training good training is driven by concepts and principles right. not by recipes but I find, you know, I don't know if it's because you've played a lot of portal, Mary, but I find you're very creative in, in finding starting points and approximations. Because sometimes people get stuck. You know, they don't get what they want and they don't know. And we say, okay, go back or try something else, but they don't know what to try. And I guess it's a skill you can develop to become more creative. But I, I think, Dominic, you said a skill. I, I think it's I think it's interesting. We we like you said, we often tell people, you know, if it's not working, go back a step, try something else. But I don't think we talk about that as being a mm -hmm. skill. And and it is something that with practice and with experience mm -hmm. and you know, with doing things like playing portal or shaping games or you know, even doing like human horse exercises, you you can develop that skill of knowing how to adjust your shaping plan. I think that's that's a great subject. You know, I think everybody wants to learn and hear more about that. How do you develop that skill? You know, you've given many examples just now. That's very often what will distinguish an experienced trainer a successful trainer from someone who gets social results. It, it very much sits in that uh, the growth mindset uh, framework, mm -hmm. and yeah. it sits in the, the very powerful concept of constructional training. So you know, one of the things, Mary, that you are you 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 know that uh, complex behaviors are made up of component parts, and so uh, that go you know it's when we say go back you know, what are we going back to? So if I go back, right. you know, the, uh, tr like trailer loading, a great example. Am I going back by letting the horse back up three steps away from the trailer and let me try and lead him forward again? And maybe this, mm -hmm. maybe this time, please, 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 he'll, he'll take another step onto the trailer ramp. Or am I looking at it from a constructional perspective and saying, well, let's go away from the trailer completely and going back means, let me go back to the barn and teach you how to stand on platforms. Let me teach you how to follow a target. Let me teach you to walk between narrow spaces. Let me teach you to walk under overheads. Let me teach all of the underlying components that make up your being comfortable going on to a trailer. But you have to be able to to imagine those components. Right. But we have to we have to yeah. we have to recognize that going back what actually does that mean? So going back right. means going back to a cup of tea and the drawing board and really thinking about what are some of the skills that I'm assuming are in place that would really help me out in order to get to this outcome. And so it's really looking at what does going back 
mean? Yeah. And, and what are, what are those, those smaller skills? And, you know, something practical that people can do, and we can use the trailer loading as an example, is just making a list of all of those skills and then making a list of the skills that are needed for each of those skills, and then take some of those smaller components and go out and ask your horse, can you do this fluently? Can you do this really well? And, and what you often realize is, you know, I was assuming that my horse is really comfortable walking over different surfaces, but when I pull out um, a tarp and a grain sack and a piece of cardboard, I really, I realized that he's actually not that comfortable walking over different surfaces. Um, so, you know, if you have a list of, if you can make a list of smaller components that go up into, into the bigger behavior, then you can start testing those and playing around with them and making sure that your horse is really fluent at those. And then, and sometimes then when you go back later to the larger skill, such as trailer loading, you find that because you've strengthened those components, um, the final behavior is now more accessible. I have to chuckle since we're talking about gardens. So I'm, I'm building a new vegetable garden area in a part of the barnyard. And, and right now I, it's in the early construction stage where there's uh, a lot of chicken wire and things because I'm encasing it basically. The floor of it is going to be lined in chicken wire and it's you know it's quite a quite an elaborate construction and the horses had access to the to through the barnyard to the upper pasture and I was turning them out thinking you know even though there's this mess in the corner they're not going to go anywhere near it they're going to go up and, and eat the grass and then come back to the barn and then I got the report from from Bob who came in who said you know, you, you, Robin was on the chicken wire checking everything out. And I thought, you know, okay, I guess I've done a good job teaching Robin about walking on surfaces that, that are very foreign. So he now gets his being turned out in a different pasture. Um, and he will have access to that bar- part of the barnyard after all the construction is complete. And what I always found when I in teaching is that the more complex behaviors, there's a greater chance of failing if you're outcome oriented and you start at, we'll call it sort of the top of the pyramid. I want, you know, I want to go directly to the behavior that I want to work on. Well, it's complex. It's got lots of com- component parts. There are some things that are missing in terms of what your horse understands and knows. And so it's going to be a lot harder and you you may find that there are places where you really feel like you're just slogging your way through. Or you can break it down into these simpler behaviors, these smaller components, and they're much easier to teach. So there's a much higher success rate. And you feel more successful, your horse is more successful, so he's enjoying the training more. For me, what's interesting is where do we find ideas? You know, how do we develop that skill in ourselves? How do we expand as a trainer and become better and better at having all these ideas to get unstuck? One, one thing you people can do is make a list of all of like the little behaviors and components and skills your horse already knows 
not that have anything to do with this final behavior. So, you know, you could, if your horse knows all the foundation lessons, you could list out all those. Um, you know, if your horse knows how, knows some tricks like fetch or things like that, make a list of all of the behaviors your horse knows, and then go through them one by one and say, how could I use this behavior to teach this skill? How could I use this? So like, how could you use fetch to teach a horse to lo load onto a trailer? You may not end up doing that, but by putting mm. behaviors together and thinking about them together that you've never thought about before, mm. you, you come up with new ideas. That's interesting. I like that. It's kind of a brainstorming yeah, yeah. activity. It's somewhat similar to the, what I always refer to as the line of trash mm. game where you, you gather up all kinds of stuff, clutter, from around your, your house, your barn. And they have to be things that are horse safe, that are not going to be hazardous to either you or, or the horse. But they can be things that, some of the things will be objects that your horse will have no no worry about at all. They And they can also include things that might be quite concerning to your horse a vacuum cleaner an umbrella you know that sort of thing comes to mind versus a sponge or a washcloth or a lid off a supplement container whatever it is so you gather up all this stuff and then you sort it by degree of difficulty i think this sponge would be very easy for my horse to interact with i think this vacuum cleaner might be more challenging i think this dose syringe might send him into the next county <laughs> you know whatever however whatever it is and you start out with the easiest objects and so maybe you start out with a washcloth and you think all right so how many ways can a clicker trained horse interact with a washcloth well, he could target a washcloth. He could target different body parts. So can he target his shoulder, his hip to the washcloth? Can he target his ear to the washcloth? Can he stand on the washcloth, make it a foot target? Can I rub it over his body? And, you know, you set up the teaching plan for that so that it's it's not, let me impose this on you, but it's, is it okay with you? So he's participating in this. Can he wear the washcloth? Can you use it as a stationary target? Can he pick it up and hand it to you? So you just start thinking of what are all the ways in which we can interact together with this object? And then you pick the next object and maybe it's a, a sponge. And there'll be some similar things. He could your horse could do a body part targeting with a sponge, but you might not want him retrieving it. Like maybe you would, I don't know. But so there, there will be some things that are the same, but there may be some new other different things that you can do with a sponge that you couldn't do with a washcloth. So you're trying to be as creative as, as possible in terms of what are all the different ways in which my horse can interact with this object, and I don't know, maybe if I if I uh, take this other object that we've already interacted with it and combine it with the sponge, we've got a whole new behavior. So that helps you to be more creative as well. One of the best ways to become more creative is to have lots of stuff. You know, if you go into an arena that's empty, that's just beautifully clean and pristine, it's hard to be creative and imaginative. Throw some ground poles out there, throw some mats out there, throw some cones out there, throw some 
beach balls or you know whatever it is a child's wading pool whatever it is out there cardboard boxes cardboard boxes and all of a sudden you begin to see possibilities that you wouldn't have seen before so part of the way of becoming creative is is to become what doesn't really want to say it become a little messier <laughs> you know you'll see possibilities that you didn't see before maybe that will spark you to teach your horse to pick up and and retrieve all this clutter that you put out there and put it into a bucket so that he's cleaning up his toys who knows who knows all good ideas but you know that that the um your what do you call it the just the trash game um and then yeah. also the idea i gave where you know make make a list yes. and then Look at those combinations, but I was going to say those are, you know, Dominique was asking, how do we get better at finding approximations or finding new approaches? Both of those are approximations that you can practice that then when you have real life training situations, you know, you don't know how to get your horse on the trailer or to stand at the mounting block or to take the warmer. If you've practiced some of these other approximations, you'll be more prepared. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll know that going through some of these side roads will will get you to the end result in a way that's very successful. So like the dose syringe, that going through a teaching process that involves many approximations, many steps, will it will work. And with that confidence that it will work, because you've had other situations in which this general approach, this constructional approach has worked, has succeeded. It builds your confidence then to say, well, I can, I can do it this way. I can solve this. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's great. Yep. And it makes you braver in terms of tackling new other different projects. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's one of the, the big keys. It just makes you braver. I mean, you're going to start to be much braver about tackling other gardening projects. I have, I, I'm, I'm growing, so one of the herbs I'm growing indoors now is cilantro. Ah, that was the other <laughs> question go. that needed to be asked. So you are, so it was not extinguished. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it was extinguished to some degree, but mm-hmm. then, you know, it was, I've, I've had some, well, you found a different, I found a different you know, approach. If you had can, that's right. So the traditional, in quotes, training approach of go to the garden center, buy a starter plant, stick it in the ground, that's extinguished. But try a new training method. It's like, wow, if I just try clicker training, maybe I can teach my horse to load on but, the trail. But, you know, Alex, I'm... I, the thing too is because I've gone the sideways route now, you know, I think in the spring and I told you I had kale, I've started outside right now anyways, but in the spring I will have more skills and I will have more confidence. And I think I probably can go to the garden store and buy some plants and be more successful about growing them outside. And speaking of going to the garden store and buying plants. So when you go to the garden store, buy native plants. Mm-hmm. So one of the, you know, I do the, the Horses for Future podcast, and I'm just starting, starting a new series on 
Dr. Doug Tallamy's work on the homegrown national parks, where he's really developing a sort of a grassroots approach to helping to to build back the biodiversity that we are losing and the how important it is to grow our native plants. And there's a wonderful, I love the way they talk about it, that these are plants that they're functional within an ecosystem instead of being inert in a, within an ecosystem. So for example, when you have the native plants, they have evolved with the insect populations that live in a particular area and they coexist. And so they can be hosts to a large number of insects, which at first sounds like, oh, well, I don't want that, except that we do need it. So there's the oak tree that sits at the back of my garden is what uh, Tallamy refers to as a keystone species, that on some of these oaks, there will be over five, 500 species of insects that produce caterpillars that are dependent upon that oak tree versus a ginkgo, which we plant in cities, that's a non-native and will have maybe one species of insect. But we need those caterpillars because that's what the birds use to feed their young because the caterpillars are soft and squishy and easily digestible. And as we lose the biodiversity, as we plant ornamentals, but we plant exotics, then we are, we're not helping to build back the biodiversity that is being lost. And so when you go to the garden center, this is just a plug for the spring. When you go to the garden center next spring, really look for those, those native plants so that your garden can be part of this national landscape of homegrown national parks that Dr. Tallamy is is working really hard to develop. Yes. That's a great, great concept. So so I I watched, I'm just going to throw this in really fast, but I watched a um, yeah, webinar yeah. this summer with Tallamy, which was done by the Smithsonian Magazine, and it's available for yep. free online if, if you do a Google yep. search. Um, he gave a case study of a woman in the Chicago area and I think her lot yes. was like a tenth of an acre or something. And she was right near O'Hare Airport. She was surrounded yep. by cement. No one else around her had gardens or anything like that. And her tiny little backyard, she replaced with, she. I don't think she completely replaced, but she planted quite a few native species and put in like a small little pond. And in a year... Um, she saw over a hundred bird species in her little backyard, which, yes. which is amazing. Yes. Um, but why I wanted to tell that story is I really like Tallamy's concept of what he calls the backyard national park, because I think, yes. unfortunately, when a lot of people think about saving the environment and the environmental movement and protecting our planet, we think about preserving big patches of land, you know, like the national forests and the national parks. And so how can we do more of that? And it, it, you start thinking about that. Well, maybe I can give money, maybe I can help with lobbying efforts, but it seems, especially if you don't have money or if you don't have, if you don't own thousands of acres, it seems impossible for how can I help? So it, it's an, like what we were talking about earlier, it's an approximation 
you know, the approximations that you think you should be doing are way too hard or out of your expertise or skill level or yeah, money yeah. level. But if you think, you know, just around my mailbox, I'm going to make a three foot by three foot plot and plant wildflowers. That's something you can yep. do. So I, why, I, yep. why I think Talmi's work is so cool is because he's, he's saying that, you know, you don't even have to rip up your whole yard and, and put in natives. You can even start by just taking a little corner and planting a native bush or some wildflowers or some sort of other. And he even talks about how if you're in an apartment, you can do this on your patio, you know? So I think his work is really inspiring because he's finding and trying to give people little approximations that they can do. Yes. And that when we start adding all of those, that little patchworks of lawns and gardens and horse properties together, what we start to find is that the the acreage just keeps building and building and building in which we are contributing to building back healthy ecosystems. So it's very exciting. I, I, I find his work, you know, it, it's so hopeful. It's so really hopeful. It's constructional. It's construct. Yes, mm -hmm. it's constructional. It's such a great match. So we're going to do That'll a whole great. series on, you know, how we actually go. What does it mean? You know, how do you how do you implement it? Which relates a lot to Dominique's question of, okay, these are nice words, but how do I implement it? You say, all right, go go plant, go plant native plants. Well, how do I know what's a native plant if I'm not a gardener? You know, what's a native, they all look native, they all look green, <laughs> you know, um, what's a native plant and, and what's an invasive plant? And if I go to the, go to the garden center and they're selling me, uh, you know, surely the, the plants that are at the garden center are, are okay um, because they're selling them. But then you start doing a little research and some of them are non-natives that are not going to have that wonderful function function within an ecosystem and some of them are actually potentially invasive so you know it's it relates back to training again in terms of just because you can doesn't mean you should you know just because you can train i don't know a horse to stand on its to stand on its hind legs doesn't necessarily mean that you should or just because you can train a horse to load onto a trailer with whips doesn't mean that that's how you should go about it you know it's it, or to you know train the horse to lie down so you can get on mm -hmm. yeah yeah everything is connected to everything else but you know what you know what too that i just thought of alex um yeah you know some of these behaviors that you some people don't want to train or other people don't want to train you know some of that too relates to context which relates back to the native species because you know yes you could give me a list of all the natives you're going to plant in your yard but i can't go plant those in my yard no because they're not native for your area they're, they're not native for me so you know it when we when we're picking behaviors and especially, you know, the first behaviors our horses need, but even later on, it, it has to be specialized to what we need and what our horse needs and the environment um, and the context that we're working in, you know, like what's right for one person and horse may not be what's right for another person and horse, just like the plants that I'm going to plant in my yard 
um, as I try to plant more natives, are not the ones that you're going to plant in your yep. yard. No, we're going to be exchanging very different <laughs> pictures, you know, photos yes. of our gardens. But even even the same horse, I mean, in different moments in his life, you know, what do you teach a younger horse versus an older horse? Right. There are things you don't right. want to teach too early because the horse is not ready for it. It's not all formed. Is that a proper word in English? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, yes. he's not physically ready to, he's not there yet. And then when they're older, there are certainly things that we should stop doing with our horses. If, you know, if it's too difficult yep. for them, they'll tell us usually, well, Mary, you'll have to report back on the cilantro. Yes, I will. <laughs> and, and, you know, I yes. said we have a new house. I'm going to, I'm going to try to make at least part of our property into our own little backyard national park. So I can report back on that too. On that too. <laughs> yes, yes. We'll have to. We'll Exchange have to uh, have you. Yes, we'll have to have you pop over onto the Horses for Future podcast, and you can become one of my. Because I'd I'd love to get gardeners who are in different regions of the mm -hmm. country, so that we're sharing. Because what what I do in upstate New York is not what you will be copying for right. for Texas. Right, and I'm still I'm still learning, yeah. but. I'd, I'd be happy to share. It's very neat. It's all exciting. The horse training is exciting and the, the possibilities that are opening up in terms of how we can really help the planet are exciting. And it's, it goes back mm -hmm. to mindset. We can have a hopeful mindset or we can have a stuck mindset. I love how you said it earlier in the podcast, believing in possibilities. Yes. And, you know, we're living right now, we're in the middle of the pandemic. Who knows, you know, since they now talking about there's a vaccine, several vaccines in the works. So the, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So when somebody is listening to this for the first time, they may be maybe it's after uh, the pandemic you know, thinking, yeah, then they'll be thinking, you know, oh, right. I remember. I remember that. But right now we're, you know, we're we're in the pandemic and hopefully not um, in the middle and hopefully more towards. The end. Yeah, well, we're some we're somewhere we're somewhere mm. in the midst of the pandemic threat and and the in the United States, the infection rates are going up, which is very scary. And and you can you can maintain a hopeful mindset or you can get stuck and you know the the susan friedman you can look mm -hmm. for easter eggs and and find them which is a lovely image and i think all of these things the of really maintaining that hopeful growing curious inquisitive puzzle solving i can figure this out uh, if I have enough cups of tea, I can figure this out. Uh, mindset is is really a great way to. It's a great it's a great mindset to foster. So, I think we should wish everyone a growth mindset in the days ahead. And we're coming into the holiday season, so we would wish everyone, you know, to stay well, um, you know, stay safe, and stay in a wonderful growth hopeful mindset. I love that ending. What a perfect way to end a podcast. I hope everyone finds a way to have a wonderful holiday season, not in spite of this very peculiar and difficult year that we all find ourselves in, but because of it. 
we've been given a huge push to find new, other, and hopefully, in many ways, better ways of celebrating together. I have two reminders before I leave you with good holiday wishes. The first is we are having a holiday special on our Listen and Learn audio course on Applied Behavioral Analysis. It is 25% off the regular price. That offer will be available through the end of December. Mary was our guide through that course. You can tell from these podcasts that she's a wonderful teacher. She's so very clear. She found stories and metaphors that brought clarity to the concepts that we explored in the course. You can learn more about the course by visiting our website, equosity.com. And if you want to learn more about Dr. Doug Tallamy's work, he has several excellent free webinars available on the internet. Just Google his name and you'll find them. He also has several books, including his most recent, Nature's Best Hope. And if you can't remember any of these things, just Google Backyard National Parks or Homegrown National Parks. And speaking of which, I hope you'll check out my other podcast, Horses for Future. As I've said, I've begun a new series of conversations that are centered around Dr. Tallamy's work. It's one thing to talk about planting native plants and implementing the other changes he suggests. It's quite another to know how to go about doing it. So I'm taking our constructional training approach to the creation of my own backyard national park. And I've enlisted the help of Coralie Palmer to be my guide as we explore this work together. The latest podcast was an introduction to Dr. Tallamy's work, so you can learn even more about his concept. And speaking of concepts, the concept behind Horses for Future is very simple. Horses need pastures for grazing. So as horse owners, we are stewards of a lot of land. Individually and collectively, we can make a positive difference for the environment. If you want to listen to the Horses for Future podcast, visit sequestercarbon.com or subscribe to it through your regular podcast provider. And to learn even more about some of the things that you can do to help with the climate change crisis, go to the Horses for Future Facebook group. It's a wonderful group and people are always posting links and articles and videos and resources that are incredibly useful and, and really interesting. So that's a great group to visit. Again, it's just Horses for Future. And now it really is time to wish you once again a wonderful holiday season. Stay safe, everyone, and have fun with your horses and with your family and friends. Bye.